If you'd like to follow along with the sermon notes for today, you can find those on the events page at newhope.in. That's also where you can find any of the announcements that we talked about today. If you want to go ahead and get out your device and your Bible and get ready, Pastor Adam is coming to kick off our new sermon series for today. You, if you thought that uh, video was a little bit offensive to you, I'm sorry, uh, but you need to be here the next four weeks in this series called Relationship Goals. Some of you I know took it personal because uh, you identify with it. Um, we're starting a series today called Relationship Goals, uh, just coming off of Valentine's Day, uh, also known as Singles Awareness Day. Some people call it that, um, it, it, but I, I want to be real clear. I'm not just talking to married people today or people that are currently in a, uh, in a relationship. I'm talking to the singles today as well. Me and my wife, I believe, have a great marriage today in part because both of us, before we were married, we paid really good attention and took really good notes anytime anybody was talking about marriages because we, we, like, we wanted to know. And so now that we're married... We just pull those notes out and go at it. Like, we know what to do. Like, because we got, we got the notes. We took, we, you know, we were ready. Um, so I'm going to share some relationship goals that I think uh, will, will help us. It'll help you if you're married, and it'll help you if you're not, too. Um, yeah, the Bible is not silent on marriage. So I'm not going to be silent about marriage, either. I believe all of the problems in the world ultimately exist because there's sin in the world, because of their sinful nature. When God made things originally in Genesis chapter 1, he made them perfect, and it was good. It was like everything, it was, he did a good job. He didn't mess it up. There was no sin. And then sin entered the world, and then all the problems happened. Everything spiraled out of control from there. And we all have a sinful nature because we came from Adam and Eve, right? So, so we've inherited this sinful nature inside of us. All of the problems that we ever have are because of our sinful nature and sin being in the world. And anytime we can get back to the way God wants it, or, or you could think of it as trying to get back to Eden, like the Garden of Eden, when we get back to Eden, anytime you can get it back to there, it's more right. It, it's the way God intends for it to be. Uh, so let's start, as we look at marriage, let's look at the first marriage that God made. This is what, how God put together marriages. And we're going to look at it in Genesis chapter, uh, chapter 2. And the Lord God said, It isn't good for man to be alone. I will make a companion for him, a helper suited to his needs. Then the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep and took one of his ribs and he closed up the place from where he had it removed. And he made the rib into a woman and brought her to the man. This is it, Adam exclaimed. I think that's funny. This is it. The aardvark was just weird. 
The elephant was nosy. But God, you outdid yourself. This is it. Another translation says, finally, she is a part of my own bone and flesh. Her name is woman because she was taken out of a man. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife in such a way that the two become one person. This is how a lot of us think about uh, marriage. This is it. Da, 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 da. This is it. It's all awesome from here. This is, this is, the, this is the starting point. You know, it's only going to get better. And then reality kicks in and like, things stink. Why? Because we have sinful natures. So sometimes things in life, in marriage, stink. And so we, we, we go looking and we, we see things that we want. Things that, that would really make a, be an awesome marriage. And we say, I want that. It, on social media, a lot of people do that. They put things that they want to have in a relationship. They put it on, on the internet. And then they hashtag it, relationship goals. Have you seen these relationship goals? Here's one. You, this might be a relationship goal for you. I found this on the internet. Aw, right? Aw. Couple really old people still in love. That's a great relationship goal. I think that's a good relationship goal. Be, being old and in love still. That's, that, we're going to get old together, honey. Yeah. You, you more than me. But. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. We're, we're, one year at a time, both of us at the same time. But we see things like this on the internet and we say, I, I want that. I want that. I, I want to I have something different. And that's really what we're looking for. We're looking for something special, something unique. Relationship goals. You know, I saw some other relationship goals. We're going to put one up on the projector here. This has never been one of my relationship goals. Get married and go to Taco Bell. I actually met a couple after the 930 service. They did that. They're like, we were there with our tuxedo and wedding dress. Go to Taco Bell for their wedding. That's not been my goal, my relationship goal. I had a different relationship goal. It didn't work out out for me, but this is what I really wanted. (laughs) Krispy Kreme donuts. What do you think, honey? No, donuts for the date? No, okay. Uh, We can have some relationship goals, things we're we're looking for. Um, And and if you look at the God-ordained marriage, and that's what you want, what you're really after is the kind of marriage that God established the kind of marriage that God created. Two people in love with each other that go on walks, that don't have secrets, that talk to each other, that share everything without uh, being, being concerned about be, uh, being belittled. That's what you're looking, looking for. But if you want that, if you want that, if you want a godly marriage, you got to understand that you take what comes with it. And there is not pretty stuff all the time. There are some hard things that happen in life. I feel like me and my wife have an amazing marriage. Take a picture of us and hashtag it relationship goals, and I don't think you'd be too far off. However, there are some discussions that happen in my house. We fight. We fight. We fight about uh, how to load the dishwasher. Because there's a right way. Lena. There's a right way. There's the the way that, it, that the instruction manual says it should go. 
Lane, I do. I read the instructions on everything, including it. When we got a, when we got a, a microwave, I read the instructions. Because there's a lot of features in a microwave, just so you know. There's, yeah. Okay, we can go on from there. Lena can be very, very stubborn. I can be, she just admitted, I can be very, very harsh. I can be harsh. And that's led to conversations. <laughs> we argue about the dishwasher. We argue about the temperature. We argue about her unwillingness to turn all the lights on. Just get the lights on. We sometimes argue about how we should discipline our kids from time to time. We argue about what we should eat. We argue about what we're going to do next. In fact, the last time we had a fight, Lena came crawling to me on her hands and knees and said, get out from underneath that bed and fight like a man. That didn't happen. That didn't happen. If you want... That, if you want a godly marriage, it's going to need to deal with all the other stuff too. You're going to have to. I hope when you realize that when you say, I I want that, I want the godly marriage, I hope you realize what you're also saying is, I don't want normal. Because when I look around at normal marriages, I don't want it. I don't want normal. There's a lot of dysfunction in the world. There's a lot of sin in the world. I don't want my marriage to be normal. I want it to be godly. I want it to be godly. And in order to have a godly marriage, you're going to need godly relationship goals. That's what this series is about. Godly relationship goals. I'm going to share it in the next four weeks. I'll unpack them. But we have four godly relationship goals that we're going to be talking about in this series called Relationship Goals. But here, here they are. Uh, the first goal is that we are Christ-centered. Christ needs to be the center of your marriage and the center of your life, really. That should be the first goal. We are Christ-centered. The second goal is we are mission-driven. This is when a married couple starts to care about the things that God cares about. And when you care about the things that God cares about, you realize that your life and your marriage can be mission-driven. Driven. The third goal for our marriages is that we are devil kicking. You have an enemy, it's never your spouse. So aim that foot someplace else. We're devil kicking. And last but not least, we are covenant keeping. So I'll say it again. If you think you got it, you can, you can join me. We are Christ centered, we are mission driven, we are devil kicking. And we are covenant-keeping. These are the four. You can say it with me again. We are Christ-centered. We are mission-driven. We are devil-kicking. We are covenant-keeping. One more time. We are Christ-centered. We are mission-driven. We are devil-kicking. We are covenant-keeping. These are the four goals. But today, I'm going to be talking about this one right here. We are Christ-centered. Centered. That's the idea for today. We are Christ-centered. This is the first godly uh, relationship goal that I think every marriage should have. We are Christ-centered. This is your relationship goal. Everyone's life, even those not married, everyone's life is centered around something. If you're married, 
your life is centered, your marriage is centered around something. And that something, whatever it is, will affect everything else. It'll affect your marriage, it'll affect everything. Everything. It'll affect your thoughts. Whatever your life and marriage is centered around will, will affect it all. Let me explain it like this. In ancient construction, like today when they do construction, we have tape measures that are standardized and you know, checked up against another. We have like a, the proper tape measure. And uh, If you want to know if something is level, you get a level. Put it up on a board and, okay, that's level. But in, in ancient construction, they didn't have that. They had to put up a string and, okay, everything's plumb to this. You know, that's level. Uh, and, and they would make, uh, and when they built ma- in masonry, the first rock that they put, the first brick, was a great big brick, and they called it the cornerstone. And it was the first one. And it couldn't be wrong. Every angle had to be 90 degrees. Because if it was a little bit like this, the next rock would come up, and instead of the building going up like this, it would go up like this. And so the, the further up, you understand, the further up it would be toppled. So the very first rock had to be right angles. If you want the, the building to be a square footprint, that cornerstone had to have 90 degree angles. It couldn't be wrong, it had to be right. Otherwise, it wouldn't be a square. You'd have a parallelogram or a trapezoid or something. So if you want it to be a square, that cornerstone is what establishes every other, every other brick in the, in the construction. Does this make sense? Against that backdrop of understanding ancient construction, look at this. Uh, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, together we are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, and the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. Everything else leans upon that, because Jesus is perfect. We are his house, and we lean upon the cornerstone. So your marriage ought to lean upon the cornerstone, Christ. Be Christ-centered. Anything that's right in a marriage is going to be right. If it's right, it's because Jesus was centered in that marriage. Um, Let me talk about this a little bit. I want to bust a myth that there's even such a thing as the one. That's just movies. I found the one. That implies that there's only one. Do you know how I know that Lena's the one? Lena is the one for me. Do you know how I found that out? She said, I do. That's when I knew she's the one. And so there's no thoughts that ever can go through my mind. Is she the one or not? Yep, we're married. So she is. She is. That made it so. She's the one. There's no such, such thing as only one person that you could ever... The only, there's only one person on the earth that could be your soulmate. No. No. Contrary to Jerry Maguire, your spouse does not complete you. It's a reference to a movie where the guy says... You complete me and got the girl. Your spouse does not complete you. You don't need another person to complete you. One is a whole number. The decimal point goes after the one. It's a whole number. Jesus did all right, single. He he changed the world. He impacted a lot of things, single, did he not? You don't need another person to complete your life. Paul said to the Colossians, he says, because you belong to Christ, you've been made complete. So somebody else completing you, mm -mm. if that was on your Valentine's Day card, like, okay, I'll let it slide. But it's not biblical. Uh, Just, you know, 
kiss each other and then go on. And, but this is, Jesus completes you, according to Scripture. Jesus is your one. And you may say, oh, I need more. I need, I need, I just, I need more. I need my spouse. My spouse isn't meeting. I need, I need something else. My spouse isn't meeting all my needs. And my God will meet all of your needs. Who's supposed to meet him? God. God is supposed to be in the center. My God will meet all your needs according to his riches and his glory in, in, in his glory in Jesus Christ. Your spouse is not supposed to meet all of your needs. That's just not true. Jesus can meet all of your needs. Your spouse is called to meet some of your needs. You also need the church. You also need friends. But more than anything, you need Jesus Christ because God can meet all your needs. And you may think, okay, yes, yes, Pastor Adam, I understand. But I need him. I need her. If that's not you, you know somebody that that's like. People walk around, I, I just, I'm not complete unless I have. That's an itch you're trying to scratch, but you're barking up the wrong tree. You need Jesus. Amen. You need to allow Jesus to be, just because you're a Christian or you call yourself a Christian doesn't mean that Christ is actually centered in your life. There's a difference between saying, oh, I'm a Christian, and oh, I went to church Sunday, and Jesus actually being centered, him actually calling the shots. I need him. It, what I have isn't enough. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. You know what sufficient means? Enough. Enough. It's not enough. Jesus isn't enough. I just need him. Christ is enough. Amen. When you have that perspective, then you have a Christ-centered life. Then your marriage is going to get better. Your marriage will get better with that perspective. In a Christ-centered marriage, the person you're married to is not your one. She's not the one. Honey, I'm sorry to let you know. You're not. You're my two. Jesus is my one. Jesus is my one. She's my two. If we put God first, that is the most important thing. That is what matters. In fact, Jesus was asked, uh, somebody asked him, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. It's number one. God wants to be number one. It's kind of his deal. It's his thing. He wants to be number one. So let me ask, what is your life centered around? Maybe your life is centered around yourself. That's going to affect a lot of things. If just the way you think is, you know, how I feel, my, it's my comfort, I don't want that, I don't feel that, bring me a sandwich. Like, if it's all about yourself, that's going to affect a lot. Or may, maybe your life or your marriage is centered around kids. This one's common. This one's real common. Think about what, what happens. If everything in your marriage is surrounded around your kids then you're not investing in each other. I don't need to invest in you. The person I'm married with, I'm married with her, so I don't need to invest in her, but it's the kids. I need to make sure the kids are okay. The kids are the most important thing. The kids got to get where they need to go. I'm going to invest in the kids. They, I'm going I'm to work more hours, not see my wife. And I'm going to make more money so my kids can do the things that they want to do, and they got to do this, and they got to do this. My kids are so important. I'm going to invest in them, invest in them, invest in them. I don't need to worry about my wife. I'm going to invest in my kids. And what happens 18 years later? I look and I think, who's, who's in this bed with me? Who is that? I don't even know you. It's not a place to be. It happens often. Kids graduate and then there's a divorce. 
when that happens, it's because two people stopped investing in each other. And all it took was a change in the kids, and they were like, they weren't, they've, they've invested 18 years making sure that they weren't even connected. Don't do that. Don't do that. Be Christ-centered is a better place. What else might be centered in your marriage? You may say, oh, I have a good marriage, Pastor Adam. My spouse is at the center of it. That's not good either. Because then it's one-sided. It's one-sided. If the spouse is at the center for you, if the spouse is at the center of your marriage, then by definition, the other person has to have themselves at the center of that marriage. If that, continue, if that can just continue on, it's only going to go one way. Or maybe your job is at the center of your life, or success or money is at the center of your life. You understand how a job can be more important than getting home to see your spouse. That's also not a good place to be. Your marriage is centered around something. And I, I argue that it should be centered around Jesus. If you want everything else to fall into a right alignment, if you want everything else to just increase, everything else will get better if your life is centered around Jesus. Let me show you. I have a graphic I can use to show you here. Your life is centered around something. It is. Whatever your life is centered around, it's going to affect the, the, the things you believe. It's going to affect your values. It's going to affect your thinking. And you, all the decisions that you make come from your thoughts. We only have the thoughts in our brain to make a decision. And so your values are going to affect your decisions, your actions. And over time, you keep that going, and then what? You're going to have your influence, your impact. Your decisions are going to affect what kind of impact you have in the world around you. So all of your life is determined, really. It's shaped dramatically by whatever you put there. So what are you going to put there? You're going to put yourself there? You're going to put yourself in the middle? You'll be comfortable a little while, but it's gonna, you're not going to have much of a life. No one's going to want to be around you. Or you put kids in the middle. I already talked about that. If you put kids at the center of your life, don't get me wrong, they're important. But when Christ is at the center, the kids will fit in in the right spot. And they'll grow in their faith as well. If you put Jesus at the middle, we all win. Your spouse wins, your kids wins, your people you work with wins, your job wins. Everything wins only when Jesus is put in the center of your life. And that's why I argue we need to be Christ-centered. So let me talk to the non-marrieds for a minute here. If you want a Christ-centered relationship in the future, you have to live Christ-centered today. It just makes sense. But a lot of people say, no, you know, I want, I'm going to... I want, I, want, I want that. I want, the, I want to be 80 and still in love. I want a godly marriage, but I'm not married now. So for right now, I'm just going to do my own thing. Listen, anytime you do your own thing without God, that's like the definition of sin, pretty much. Don't do your own thing without God. That is sin. You don't build a future of righteousness on a foundation of sin today. It doesn't work that way. If you want a future of righteousness, if you want a godly marriage in the future, live Christ-centered 
today. It's a big deal. There's a really big difference between calling yourself a Christian and actually living Christ-centered. It's a big difference. So let me, let me just talk. I'll ask you this. I'll just propose a, propose a question. How do we live a Christ-centered life? How do we do that? I could give you a list of 20 or 30 things that you can do to, uh, to have a Christ-centered marriage or a Christ-centered life. Um, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to give you one. This is very, very basic. It's also hard sometimes. But if you do this one thing, all the other stuff will fall into place. It's one of those, it's like, like just the one thing will lead to others, like dominoes. I'm going to do the one thing, and it has a lasting impact. A whole lot can change. If you would just do this one thing to make your marriage Christ-centered, here it is. Pray together daily. Amen. That's the one thing. If you do that one thing, a lot of other stuff will fall into place. Now, I just heard my mom say, amen, when I said that. But some of you just heard me say that, and you thought, oh, no. I should have skipped. I picked a day to come. He's telling me I got to pray out loud. I realize some of you may never have prayed out loud a day in your life. And yeah, I'm asking you to do that. Um, you know, I don't, don't want to do that. Some of you are thinking that. I don't, it's too, how, do, how am I supposed to pray, pray with somebody else? That's personal. That's private. Really? Some of you have kids. I know what you did to get those. <laughs> Prayer is too private? You swap spit. Like, come on. Chances are, I don't know, I don't know if this is you, but probably, if you're married, like, Good, good, good likelihood that that door is open when you go to the bathroom. That's pretty private. That's private. So how on earth is praying together too private? Too pr- Are you kidding? You can pray together. You can pray together. This one action will have more impact than any other one action when it comes to Uh, having a Christ-centered marriage. It has broad impact. If you pray together, uh, it's going to impact a whole lot of different things. Let me tell you, God loves a man and a woman married together because that represents the bond between him and the church. God loves it. Therefore, Satan hates it. And Satan wants to do whatever he can to tear down and break down your marriage. If there's anything he can do to make you uncomfortable with the idea of spiritually bonding, he's going to do it. He does not want you to bond spiritually with your spouse. Here's another great impact. It's, it's hard to stay mad at somebody you're praying with. Have you ever thought about that? If you're ever really mad at somebody, just, just start praying for them when they're not looking, and you won't be mad at them anymore. It's like magic how it works. It just really affects a lot of things. Here's another one. It's really hard to sin against your spouse if you're praying with them. It's a lot harder. I believe if you do this one thing, it may expand and affect other areas of your life. If you're praying together, you may talk about spiritual things. 
Just, it's going to come out, like spiritual conversations you may have when you're driving along in the car. If you pray together, that may lead to the way you think about your kids. You just might point your kids towards Jesus better if you pray together. You may talk about what you learned in the Bible and have a conversation about the Bible if you've prayed together. Here's a great one. You might identify spiritual attack in each other's lives and fight together against the forces of evil. We'll talk about that on week three. Such a big deal. And I want to make this easy for you. I don't want to complicate it. So I've simplified it as much. I know that some of you have never prayed out loud a day in your life. And so I'm just getting it on the, you know, like there's things in our house that we put on the bottom shelf because we want the kids to get to them and not have to bug us for them. And then there's other things we put on the top shelf that we don't want the kids to get to. Like, like my cookies. The kids' cookies can go on the bottom. And so I, I want to try to take this idea of praying together daily, and I want to put the cookies on the bottom shelf today. I want you to get it. I want you to get it. So if you've never prayed out loud a day in your life, or if you have hour-long prayers with your spouse every day of the week, I think these three tips just may help you uh, move a little bit forward. How to pray with your spouse, okay? Number one, keep it short. 60 seconds is great. But you know what? 15 seconds is better than no seconds. 30 seconds is better than 15. 45 is better than 30. Just start. You don't have to sound like a preacher. Just keep it short. Just keep it short. Number two, keep it consistent. Maybe there's a time of day that works for you before you leave, when you get in bed, uh, when you're having breakfast, when you're having dinner, when you're in the car. Whatever, something you could do every day. Keep it consistent. Do it and then do it again. And number three, if you miss a day, and you will, don't miss two. If you mess up, you're like, oh, we got too busy. Just don't, don't get off track. Just get back on track. Just get back on track as, as soon as you can. Keep it short. Keep it consistent. And if you miss a day, don't miss two. I want to make this easy. I want to make this as easy as I can. And so I'm actually going to give you an example prayer. You're not sure what to say. You're not sure what to do. Get your phone out. You're going to want to take a camera picture of this. Or if you're worshiping with us online, you want to get your phone and be ready to do a little screenshot. Here's an example prayer, okay? I'm going to give you the words. It doesn't get more simple than this. I'm giving you the words. Here's something you could say for this example prayer. Dear God, give us wisdom and clear direction today. Help us to show your love to each other and to others. Keep us close to you, away from temptation, and always in your will. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to keep that on the screen for just another minute. Take a picture of that and use it. All you got to do is pull your phone out and read it. There's no pressure here. Just grab your spouse and say, hey, we're supposed to, preacher said we got to pray, so I'll just go, dear God, that's fine. That's fine. It doesn't need to be pretty. It just needs to be. Just start. Now, is the man supposed to start it or is the woman supposed to start it? I don't care. Whoever thinks of it first, go. Just go. Just go. Just get started. Because the point here is we want to pray together daily. Because if you do that one thing, if you just do that one thing, it's going to change a lot of other stuff. And if you pray that, and you keep it short, keep it consistent, and if you miss a day, you don't miss two, if you pray that, what's going to happen? Sooner or later, you might start to add your own words. Great. Sooner or later, you might pray longer than that. Cool. 
sooner or later, you might start taking turns praying. Okay, and next thing you know, you might be praying a whole hour. That's a long prayer. But it's going to start if you keep it simple, keep it consistent. And if you miss a day, you don't miss two. That will affect so many areas of your life. If you're not married, you don't have your spouse to pray with. So here's advice for you. Start praying. Just start praying. You don't build a foundation of righteousness in the future on a foundation of sin today. Just build it now. Build your foundation now. I'm going to pray every day for my future spouse. I'm going to ask my wife to come up and join me. Uh, Lena, will you encourage everyone here? Tell the, your story a little bit and um, encourage the singles a little bit. too. So I got to have a lot of practice being single because this guy was... Clueless. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Um, But way back in youth camp, um, I heard someone say, hey, pray for your spouse. I I prayed for these things for my future spouse. This is what I wanted. I was like, okay. So I made a list. This is what I'm going to pray for. And the first was that he loved Jesus. That was the most important thing. Um, And if that's not at the top of your list, get it to the top of your list. Um, The second thing was I wanted someone who loved music and could sing. I love music. I'm not a great singer. But this guy, he's pretty fabulous, um, in my opinion. And the third thing I prayed for was someone who could cook. Um, <laughs> you laugh. My mom, not so much. She, she would try to get me in the kitchen to cook, and I just did not have any interest in cooking. Uh, my brothers would hang out in the kitchen with her and cook, but not me. I, it was not my thing. I and love she, it. And she would say, Lena, you need to learn how to cook because you're going to have a husband and a family someday, and you have to cook for them. And I would get sassy and say, no, I'm going to marry someone that can cook. And now my daughter does this to me, so I'm reaping what I sowed. She um, does <laughs> So anyways, those were the three things I prayed for. A man who loved Jesus, who loved music and could sing, and who could cook. And, you know, during my years of singleness, um, because I was in my 30s when we got married, um, sometimes I would pray that and not be totally serious. I mean, I'm asking God for a husband who can cook. But yet God honored that prayer. So it, it was this prayer that was... Some days half-hearted, some days rebellious. Sorry, Mom. Um, but it was true. That's really what my heart wanted. And God, God answered that prayer. So get your three things. Don't, don't make a list of 100 things you want God to give you in a spouse because nobody's going to live up to whatever that is. But get your, get your priorities out there and talk to God about it. Yeah. Would you stand with us? If you don't have a Christ-centered marriage, if you don't, hard stuff will come and you'll only be able to hope and wish. You'll just, you know, have your fingers crossed. Do you know what this does in terms of impacting the world around us? Not much. But if you don't have a Christ-centered marriage, this is all you're hoping in. Some luck. But when you have a Christ-centered marriage, you have an actual foundation. You have an actual rock that you can stand on. Does that make sense? Let me tell you a story. Back in uh, the the pandemic, Lena's dad, Steve Hauser, got COVID-19 very badly. And he was hospitalized. 
and they put him on a ventilator. And in those days, we couldn't go see him. He can't get in. When we tried calling, we couldn't, we couldn't get to anybody that actually knew because they were like overloaded. Every room is full. And that was hard. It was real hard. We didn't know. We didn't know what to do or what. It was like, oh my goodness, we're so confused. And we got, and we went back and forth. I remember there was four days in a row where we were told we should make preparations because he's going to pass away. And then the next day he's going to live. And the next day we think, we think he might die. And the next day he's going to live. And it was like back and forth, a hundred, like complete 180 reports, four days in a row. We had a Christ-centered marriage. And so with, within that disillusionment, what are we, ah, we knew what to do. We didn't cross our fingers. We didn't just hope. Our marriage was built. Our trust was built. Our life was built to the cornerstone of Jesus Christ. So we prayed. And my mom said, we're going to pray for a mighty miracle. My mom and dad had that marriage with that same foundation. And my mom was that example to us as well. We're going to pray for a mighty miracle. God answered that prayer. He did. He's sitting right over there. Steve Hauser's alive and well today. God wasn't done. No, God wasn't done with him. I want the same for your marriage. I want it to be Christ-centered so that when things hit the, hit the, when the waves hit your marriage, you don't have to hope. You don't have to wonder if things are, you don't have to just, oh, maybe. You can grab hands with your spouse and you can pray because your life and your marriage is built to the cornerstone of Jesus Christ. Honey, would you pray for our church and pray for marriages? Heavenly Father, I just thank you, God, for this word. Lord, I pray that today everyone who hears this message, God, would um, make you the center of their life, make you their cornerstone and their foundation. God, it, um, I pray for the singles, Lord, if um, they're in this room, Lord, and, and they haven't made you the center of their life, then God, I pray that you would move on their hearts and stir, stir them, draw them close to you, God, and help them make you the center and the cornerstone of their lives. God, for each marriage represented in this room and um, each marriage represented by those listening, God, I pray that you would be the center. God, I pray that you would put away selfishness and pride and all of the other things that hinder us from um, from making you the center of our marriage and from making our, our marriage work the way that you intended it. Father, I pray that um, Jesus would be our one and that our spouse would be our two. But God, first of all, help us Make Jesus our one. God, I pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Church, let's worship the Lord. Put him first. Lord, we love you. We worship you, God.